When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify and big tech layoffs, and Live Nation goes up against Congress again. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay, with my lovely host from coast to coast, Joseph Wazaleski. Joey. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, whoop, whoop. That's my new call sign. Oh, God. We're going <laughs> to, yeah, just ruin I'm it. I'm turning into right a here. woo girl. Oh, no. This is the, we're going <laughs> to end this now, Joe. We got to. Broadway's calling to me. <laughs> They're going to give us drink. Uh, you're talking too loudly. All right. They're going to give us drinks if we go down <laughs> my fucking two years of my life. Um, people don't know this really about me, but I used to work in like Broadway for, mm, I, I want to say like around a year in a venue. And so it's just really funny because that's like was my life. We used to have a game where we'd pick up all the bachelorette um, like sashes at the end of the night. It was really funny. Yeah. So like you can go That's through good. the whole venue and pick up. I'd have like There's eight like or ten of them, of them on. Yeah, and literally would have eight or ten of them on. Um, and like one of my favorite things was because we had comms, like we could talk to people uh, like all the way through the venue or whatever. But uh, we we love to talk in our like crew com because we just like talk and be like get a load of this. Like you'd be in the middle of the mixing and you have like the mix ready to go. <laughs> get it's a all load good. of this guy over here. You're like on your third. Yeah, right. You're on your third. Isn't that like, crazy? Right. No, we used to have code names for people. Um, I'm sure they still do. Give I know a, a couple name. of my buddies from people. Okay, so and feel free. I know some of you from back in those days still listen. So, and still work around there. So I would love to know if these people still frequent it, especially after the pandemic. Um, we had a tight shirt kid who would always come in <laughs> and like, he, he, he had a buddy and his buddy was, um, can't dance kid. And those were the two. <laughs> I they, see. I was assuming the code names would be like, the scorpion 
<laughs> or like, oh no, they're immediately or like, like identifying the Viper. What, no, not at all. Like so, like I, th- the reason why I always remember these two in particular is Can't Dance Kid and uh, Two Tight, you know, Tight Shirt Kid. They I, well, the funny enough is I would call them that, and they must have been like five or eight years older than me. And they would like come into the bar and like they were regulars. They would always be there, and we had a giant dance floor, and we we're on the second balcony, and like every time we go. All right, get a load of this tight shirt kids in here with the uh, can't dance kid. And he, they would always like, again, like once you, once you've been working in a venue and it's been like hour six and this is the third blue on black, you're like, all right, I can mix this in two seconds. That's fine. And then the rest of it, you're basically chilling and making sure nothing's exploding. So you have a lot of time. So we're sitting up there and like our favorite thing is they would always try to ask out all of these girls they would always try and we'd be like all right we're let's watch because it was a wide dance floor so you could see the whole thing i'd be like up to bat tight shirt kid here we go he's going for it um we also had uh what was his name uh what, what we call them the lone cowboy um, and it was a guy who was like in his fifties must've been or late forties. Yeah. I've told you this story before he would come in. He was in great shape where, where, you know, boot cut sh- uh, jeans and really high boots, very Texas, like belt, you know, belt buckle, huge and a big hat. And I remember he would do like the crazy kind of spin line dancing, which always clears out the floor immediately because everyone's like, I'm not getting hit. But the funniest thing about it was, is that every time he had a whole synchronized dance to uh, God Bless Texas every time. <laughs> and the dance, like I can picture this man right now. He would do like all these dancing and then always in the chorus. If you've never heard that song, it goes, God Bless Texas. And it's always that fourth thing. And what happened is that like there's like this four count right there and he gets down on one knee and kind of does like a Tim Tebow with the cowboy hat on. And he would do that every time. Anyway, we spent too much <laughs> on this. Let's get on to real news. Um, uh, <laughs> Joseph, it is freaking crazy out there. Um, yeah, it's we a have, wild week. Yeah. We have like too many stories. Um, I'm probably gonna have to fit mm-hmm. in some next week. Uh, I don't know who wants to go first. We both have pretty important stories to talk about. I think, Maybe I should go first, just based on it's kind of a continuation. Yeah, you go first. You okay. go first this time. So Spotify has cut 6% of its workforce as of Monday today, or Monday, which is when we're recording this yesterday. Um, and if you listen <laughs> right, yeah, just get really into the weeds of it. Uh, if you listen when it comes out, it's two days ago. And if you listen past that, I can't tell you. Um, but the point is, is that, yeah, they cut 6% of their workforce. And like, I thought this was a very interesting conversation to have because Spotify obviously kind of for, uh, for a large extent of people is very symbolized as a, you know, music company. But at the end of the day, it's a tech company, right? It is pioneered, mm-hmm. it pioneered like music streaming in a modern form in a modern age. So sadly, this makes Spotify not immune to a lot of the tech layoffs that we've seen, which I'll kind of get into. Um, and when some of the things that are affecting it, which we talked about a lot, like, uh, last episode was the lower ad buying happening across the entire space as there's rumors of a recession, the difficult investor market with, you know, the really high rates of the fed and then also the overall economic doom and gloom. So tech companies are usually, you know, 
beamed as like, oh, they shoot up, they shoot down and all that kind of stuff. So people are kind of trying to get out of it because they think it's a very volatile space. And Spotify has to deal with these consequences. So they've just started layoffs. Again, 6% of the company is going. And this was uh, basically distributed to their employees via a memo by CEO Daniel Eck and then leaked to the public, obviously. Uh, Spotify has 9,800 employees, so it is expected that 600 employees will be laid off. So, Damn. I mean, yeah, it, that's kind of the thing with percentages is like, you know, they can be misleading. But when you think about 600 people who probably worked very hard to work at Spotify, who wanted to work at Spotify, this company that is really considered the top of the music space and content space. Like, yeah, that's 600 mm -hmm. people's livelihoods gone. Uh, CEO Daniel Eck added in the memo that like many other leaders, I hope to sustain the strong tailwinds from the pandemic and believed our broad global business and lower risk to the impact of a slowdown in ads would insulate us. But Eck hmm. believes that, quote, in hindsight, I was too ambitious in investing ahead of our revenue growth and that he says that he, quote, takes full accountability for the moves that got us here today. Uh, basically, yeah, he's pretty straight on the uh, arrow with like trying to take accountability, like obviously, as I just said, and also try to be straightforward with why this is happening. Laid off employees are receiving on average five months of severance and continued health care coverage, while employees who relied on the appointment for immigration requirements will get imp immigration support from Spotify, although this wasn't really specified, but, you know, obviously it's not going to be super specified in a company-wide memo because that doesn't affect every employee and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, are these, it, are these us based jobs or, or so that jobs? was one thing that was not really said exactly if it was one or the other. Um, basically it's kind of up in the air. He said that like within the hours and this was on Monday, you will know basically if you mm -hmm. are the people that are affected. Um, and these payouts, although generous, do come at a cost of almost 35 uh, uh, euro, 35 million euro to 45 million euro, which is about $38 million on the low end. So it's not mm -hmm. cheap. And obviously, like these are people that aren't working for the company actively. So it's seen as, you know, even more of a cost than just regular employee cost. Um, if you remember a couple episodes, I, me and Joe were talking about 2023 kind of predictions in the music industry from music business worldwide and Spotify did grow 21% in revenue in quarter three of last year, which is an impressive amount to grow, but they still lost 228 million that last quarter. Mm -hmm. And due to what the company blamed at the time on headcount growth and higher advertising costs for growth initiatives. So many theorize that this could be kind of trying to, you know, remedy one of their biggest costs, which are headcount growth. So AKA employees. So another giant cost Spotify has also been making great, great strides like in is also content, right? Like I said, most people still view Spotify as a, as a technology company as something that is, you know, this app that is developed, this music streaming distribution kind of thing. It's not necessarily seen as much of a content base yet as the, to the likes of maybe like a Netflix or stuff like that, but they've made great strides to it and we've covered it on the show a lot. But one of the people leaving um, Spotify during this 
uh, period is Don Astroff, who is actually the head of content at Spotify, which is a pretty interesting move because, uh, you know, Don Astroff has made huge, huge like movement when it comes to acquiring high dollar content deals for Spotify, specifically podcasts. So like, under their leadership, uh, they got deals with Obama's production company for Michelle and you know Barack to have their own podcasts on there. They had a Kim Kardashian podcast through them. They had a Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have their own podcasts. And then most notably, the $400 million Joe Rogan show exclusive contract, which would love right. to hear what employees <laughs> who were laid off or fear maybe even more layoffs in the future think of that now. Um, Eck yeah. has like pretty high words to say on Astroff saying because of her efforts, Spotify grew our podcast content by 40 times. It drove significant innovation in that medium and became the leading music and podcast service in many markets. And Spotify again appears to be so far one of the smaller percentages like layoffs wise that we've seen in early 2023 especially in the tech space. Tech space has had huge layoffs, which I'll get into here in a second. Uh, but again, Spotify compared to a lot of these other companies does not have as many employees. So at the end of the day, 6% to Spotify, you know, like I was saying, 9,800 employees, 600 leaving is kind of a huge significant thing, even if it's not a large amount of percentage wise because of the amount of employees. Also, according Joe, kind of to answer your question, um, according to the LinkedIn of the company, there's about 5,400 people in the U.S. and 1,900 in Sweden. Again, I don't know how many of that 600 are going one way or the other. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, what I'm saying is, is that, like, you know, because the company is smaller, you know, you could see that these effects of jobs are a lot more substantial, even though that we're seeing huge numbers from other corporations in the tech space that, you know, outrival Spotify's even current, you know, employee pool that they have pre layoff. Like for instance, Google this last Friday laid off 12,000 people, which Whoa. is 2000 people more than Spotify has before this layoff, which is also 6% mm -hmm. of Google's um, company. So still huge. And then here's a really scary one for you. Combined, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon have laid off 40,000 people since the start of this year, with Amazon's 18,000 being the top, then Google at 12K, and then Microsoft at 10,000. So yeah, Spotify is not alone from being impacted on this. Um, definitely Spotify's history, especially with you know the stock as we've almost become a machine of saying this has been very low for a while now and seemed undervalued for a long time. Do really starting all the way back at the Joe Rogan kind of criticism when that deal first came into place and all that kind of stuff. Although I wouldn't call that a silver bullet by any means. There was a lot of writing on the wall for that, but yeah, this is a huge um, industry wide, you know, layoffs that we're seeing from the start of this year has been tremendous, but also in 2022, we saw tremendous stuff like snap Snapchat lost 20% of their staff. Um, Meta lost in November around 11,000 of their staff. And then under Elon Musk, Twitter has lost 50% of their staff. So we are seeing a giant, you know, layoff train continue in tech. And that is not immune, you know, even to like tech that 
maybe we do not consider as much straightforward tech such as Spotify. Because, you know, a lot of people, I actually asked in the poll, do you consider Spotify, which again, our polls on Monday on Instagram, do you consider Spotify to be the face of music streaming still, right? Uh, And 80% of you said yes, which, you know, for an industry such as, you know, distribution and, you know, we just mentioned Amazon and it's not all at Amazon Music or anything, but still tremendous layoffs that are going to affect the corporate structure as well. So Amazon Music, uh, haven't heard that much from Apple yet, which is the number two competitor from everything. But the point is, is that like all of these are adding up pretty tremendously and Spotify being the face of the music streaming community definitely is a indicator to investors about the health of music streaming. So if it's doing bad, it will ripple into other streaming kind of mediums when it goes, well, you know, if Spotify, which everybody knows Spotify, cause it's the face of music streaming isn't doing well. Why would I invest in, you know, some of these other companies that maybe have a fledgling distribution, uh, you know, company trying to come up. So We'll see. I, I'm very interested about DSPs, but Joe, what are your overall thoughts about all these layoffs, Spotify in general, anything in between? Just what? what your, yeah, I sh- mean, there's sh- a lot out. of fear, I think, behind, especially like if if anybody's been on social media the past couple of days, they've seen just countless amounts of posts of a lot of these former employees talking about their layoffs. Um, well, you were one to mention, like you said, like I, I just keep getting these TikToks of people just utterly, you know, like crucifying their old employer now that they're not in the yeah. contract anymore. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause it's like, I, I, I think that there is a lot of bitterness when it comes to some of this stuff as well. It really depends on the company, but what's what a lot of people are saying, especially former employees are saying is that a lot of these companies are making refer- record profits and their jobs are still getting cut um, from this it past year. And yeah. a lot of it is fear of evaluation, right? For the market. Um, and then I think too, there's like a lot of, there's been a lot of talk the past six months even about like these tech companies and it's kind of been hinted that they were going to do mass layoffs at some point. It's not super surprising that this happened if if you're paying attention to like a lot of the, the economic, uh, I guess the economic impact that um, we've had since since COVID and like since uh, a lot of the the market's been bouncing back and forth, it's it's one of those things that's like the tech world is still very different from the rest of the economy, um, especially when it comes to Spotify and like app based tech, because a lot of these companies are based off of you know, overvaluation of their company from the very two, beginning. Two years so ago, now, like Spotify was almost quadruple the amount in evaluation and stock price, you know? Yeah. I mean, but but here's the thing. Ultimately, they're not selling a physical product. And that makes their lives as a sales force a lot harder because it's like, okay, we don't have a product necessarily that's physical, that we can give to people. So it's very hard. And especially with the undercutting the market in general, when they started off on undercutting and like charging very, very little for like unlimited music. Right. 
was ultimately it's kind of what's doing them in it's because they're not sword, making yeah. enough uh, for yeah for their investors. Um, and investors are kind of coming and being like, okay, well, if you're not going to make money for me, I'm just going to leave. And more and more people are leaving Spotify, like selling their shares um, and stuff like that. And so that's not just Spotify, though. That's like with, you know, all of social media and tech in general right now. Um, I think there's a lot of fear being had, especially from what Meta, Meta's, you know, Metaverse launch completely ruined that company's reputation. And I think that that kind of shows how bad, how people view the tech industry as a whole, to be honest. Um, and and I think it, it impacted a lot of that. Also too, like disruptors such as like NFTs and like cryptocurrency, it's like a huge, it's all kind of combined together into this one thing. Yeah. I have been seeing a lot of people throwing the word recession around. Um, I'm guilty of that, and yep. Yeah, and like a lot of people screaming, don't leave your job um, because you don't know if you're going to find one. I really think that it's a little early to be saying that, um, especially with this. this the, the problem is this could trigger a, a recession because what's funny is like I, the New York Times actually did like an analysis on this. Like they were talking about how recessions can be started from people thinking there's a recession. Yep. Essentially. Yeah, you get a, um, and that's, a rolling that's kind, kind of, start. of what's happening in my opinion. I I don't truly think that there's a recession until people think there is one. Um and I think that this might trigger other companies out of the tech space to start doing this. But I don't know. I'm still a little hesitant on that because there's still a lot of companies with a lot of demand right now and people spending money. But as more and more people are, are saving money and refusing to spend, that might change. You know, we might, we might be headed into that direction. Right. But again, and, it's a little early. I still think you might be able to change jobs if you want to. That is really one thing I've on seen with industry. the music business people. Yeah. Where I've even talked to people at bars and different events and all this kind of stuff where we've just kind of, you know, talking everything and a lot of them are like well i really love to get a new job right now but i am afraid of moving to a different company and then you know there's always the stigma that if you are just hired then you're definitely going to be the one that's the first fired all that kind of stuff or you know and people are afraid they're going to get what's called pink slipped you know or just just you know hey you are now laid off very quietly and all that kind of stuff kind of like what's going on with spotify right now but mm -hmm. what what I think is, I, I do agree with you. I do think it's a little early, and I do think that there is kind of a rolling start that can definitely occur when consumers think, "Oh, there's a recession. I should be saving money." All this kind of stuff, aka consumer heading, you know, consumer habits change, and then less spending in general. Um, moving to mm -hmm. Spotify, I think Spotify has a very interesting position compared to a lot of these tech companies, where innately compared to especially social media, Spotify has a direct payment model, which, you know, to just use the service kind of at its full, really intended capacity, you do have to pay. So, you know, that's a plus for them, if that makes sense, which is what I think Eck is kind of referring to here when he talks about, you know, uh, he thought that 
you know, Spotify would be at a lower risk because of uh, the impact of slowdown in ads. I think that's what he means. Like he says, literally insulate. I think that's what he's talking about is that, you know, people do directly pay for our service. And most people understand that like the primary and direct way of using Spotify is to pay for the service. So thankfully, mm-hmm. you know, there is that kind of precedent there. I do agree that a lot of these businesses, especially in media in general, did get their start from undercutting. Like we talked about last week, even TikTok is trying to undercut all these ads and all these different places. It is a dangerous business model to have because, you know, then you're like any business, but even to a more extreme, your business evaluation is based entirely on goodwill. Um, Again, this company is making money. Um, Like it's making money, but it just has too much cost. And that's kind of at the end of the day what's happening, which is like why I think like looking at the stock for Spotify, it's kind of plateaued. It's like around $100, which is like, like literally we were talking about, you know, a month ago, it was almost at $77 when I was kind of talking about like Spotify might be in some rough shape. So I think people, mm-hmm. what they're seeing and especially the investor side as well, Spotify, people still believe in using Spotify. People believe in paying for the product and they're cutting cost. So probably we could buy it, right? Um, I think Spotify does have a very unique problem, which is that Spotify has this issue where it is viewed as a technology company. And I think by all accounts, currently it is a technology company. It is a company that based off of, you know, its history made itself by propelling content through this technology they developed to stream over the internet and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you, you can see Spotify's influence everywhere. If you open any music streaming app, they all look like Spotify. It's not like they all take their own leap. They all look like Spotify. And what I Mm -hmm. think Spotify has tried to do, uh, you know, very akin to Netflix is try to become a content machine in terms of, well, all of our competitors basically have the exact same technology, right? So what can we Mm -hmm. get that they can't? We can get content. And so that's why I am very interested, especially if this head of content is leaving, where the direction of it is. And I'm not necessarily negative against it because I think for a lot of things, I mean, obviously Joe Rogan's kind of controversy of being on the platform and paying $400 million up front was very controversial to investors and all that kind of stuff. Again, Joe Rogan's deal, like we're talking about, oh, all these layoffs may be triggered by this tremendous cost and losing $286 million. That means Joe Rogan's money over time, obviously it's not exactly 400 million. I get it. You know what I mean? But still on paper, it's a, it's more than, you know, what's making this company seem in dire trouble on their reports. Right. So yeah, what I think is interesting is just like it, it definitely, I think is a very, instrumental time for Spotify. I would love to see who comes into that content head of content kind of arena because I'd love to see Mm -hmm. what they do because it seemed like very akin to Netflix is that they decided to go, well, let's get the biggest big and brightest to come to the platform, try to lock them in all that kind of stuff with their exclusive stuff, as opposed to maybe trying to produce and create organic content that maybe 
did live on Spotify and then try to promote that to become its own thing, if that makes sense. They seem to have mm-hmm. wanted to get like the A-list in as opposed to promote within, which I understand is a lot easier because it's just like, here's money and people will follow, but it's a very different yeah. methodology. So that's what I wonder with Spotify is, you know, if we see something like them continuing to try to be, you know, what they call an audio company as opposed to a technology company, if they could stray away from a lot of these um, tech company uh, investors where they could see it, you know, the tech company space is a very huge and also cutthroat investing kind of market. So I could definitely see why Spotify would love to be more akin to like, oh, you should put us in the same camp as maybe like a Warner or a Universal or a Sony, where it's just consistent. It's just going to be consistent money. Music's not going away. You know, you can invest in this. This is safe. There's no reason to sell all the time. You know what I mean? That's what I think mm-hmm. very akin to a label in terms of investing. I think maybe they would like to see that. Um, obviously, those companies that do, uh, you know, trade like buy their stock in terms of like Warner music and stuff are a lot lower, but from what I've seen are pretty reliable and staying around the same price. So I think it's a different kind of methodology. And I do think that Spotify kind of has to deal with the sins of being in the tech space, but also is trying to kind of differentiate itself from a lot of these other companies that one don't have as much of a direct payment method and two are very seen as viable and like a very viral kind of like, Hey, invest here early. You've spent a bunch of money. It'll eventually be profitable. I think Spotify wants to go, Oh no, we're getting there and we're trying our best. It's not like a pipe dream. So you guys should invest in us because we're a good company, not because of this somehow like Amazon S story. You think Spotify is going to be on next which yeah. makes it a lot less vi- or volatile is what I'm trying to say in that Bible. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of if my tangent. If you're on. also like in the music industry and like you're worried about like a possible recession happening, right? Which could, it could happen. Like we were saying. 100%. I think it's also important to know that like historically the music industry has done pretty well during recessions. I have said uh, this. Especially in the live yeah, uh, extremely. Um, one of the things, I, I have a really good friend who's a very well-respected system engineer. And uh, I remember I was out to lunch with him and I work with him on gigs all the time. And I've told the story on the show before, so I'm sorry. But like we were, it must have been February or January of like 2020. It was like, you know, everybody was freaked out and weird. And, you know, we were just hearing about the virus in China and all of this kind of stuff. And I remember he looked at me and he was like, you know, if I have to, I'm going to go work and be like a carpenter for a while or whatever. And this guy's like smart as hell. He could like set up PA systems. He can make it sound good. He can make 50,000 people have a great experience no matter where you sit, right? This is a very mm-hmm. well-respected guy. And so it's just wild to me that he was like, I might have to be a carpenter or whatever. And I was like, you think so? And he goes, well, the music industry, in my experience from working, is recession-proof. It is not pandemic-proof. And uh, yeah. and like that's always kind of stuck with me. And like the live space is a great example. Do I think, you know, obviously there is a tightening of the reins and there are people that will be cut off, you know, in that space? 100%. 
but especially if you have very tactile skills in the music industry in terms of like you know we can be as we can be as tactile as like you can mix cool you know what i mean like there are people mm-hmm. that will still want to have their music mixed and all this kind of stuff. But even if it's like, you know, less of like, oh, you got to work with your hands or be there all the time. It's like, oh, you know how to market very well. You know what I mean? Like, you know how to put that together. You know how to do it. Well, if you're seen as valuable, you're not going anywhere. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's the one thing I would say right now compared to, you know, oh, don't switch jobs. Don't do whatever. I would say make yourself valuable if you think that it's going to happen right now, because, you know, especially with the pandemic, like I, and we talked about this on the show too. I lost my job during the pandemic, right? I was laid off and then they called me back. But like, you know, it was a couple months of that and it was roughing it, doing all this stuff. And my, the one thing I thought about is there were people that stayed at the company. And I, you know, at that point had only been working for the company for six months that I work for now. And so my main objective was to, be valuable because mm. if there was something else like this, they can go, well, we can't get rid of him because he's so valuable. You know what I mean? Now I also want to say, don't attach all of your self worth to that, right? Do not be yeah. like my, you know, if you were not picked or something like that, like let's say tomorrow they go, guys, we're cutting 20% of you and you weren't picked. I, you have a right to feel upset and you know everything like that, but I don't want you to put all your self-worth as a human being in how you perform in your job, right? Because that's not who you are entirely. But at the same time, you just got to try your best, in my opinion, to be valuable. And there are things that are beyond your control, but the things that you can control, you want to try your best at. And you want to make sure that you're actually thinking of things that you can control and not thinking of things that are completely beyond your control. Um, yeah. So that's 100%. my little tangent. Yeah. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. 
a lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet... Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But anyway, Joe, I would love to hear about this. I have seen some clips from it. It has taken me back mm -hmm. to some of my research for some other things. Tell me about this Ticketmaster hearing that's going on right now. So there's, I mean, it's huge news, right? Like we've been kind of eagerly waiting to see what happened since November uh, during the Taylor Swift pre-sale breakdown. 
Um, but this week, the Senate Ju- Judiciary Judiciary Committee uh, began its hearing on Live Nation and Ticketmaster, uh, determining if the company may be in violation of monopoly laws, as well as like investigating the actual uh, breakdown of the site during the presale. So. The main guy testifying on Ticketmaster's behalf is Live Nation's president, uh, Joe Birchtold, uh, who basically talked about how the failure stemmed a lot from bot attacks, um, which I think a lot of people in tech tend to blame for a lot of their issues. <laughs> I would Twitter, be like, cool. <laughs> Elon <Yeah>. Musk. <laughs> um you know, the person we should always uh, model good business practices off of uh, Elon Musk, who, who's never, never heard a business. I love how they before. say it, too, about bot attacks. Like, they're like, it's this thing called bot attacks. We don't know if you've heard of this before. And you're like, are you yeah. kidding me? Like, this is they're like, multi- yeah. it's like, it's like the boogeyman came. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's a lot of uh, what was happening. Birchfield also defended uh, Ticketmaster and Live Nation, uh, the merger, stating that there is still competition in the ticketing space and that the company's market share is close to 50 to 60% and not 80%. <laughs> He also said that, quote, it is it is absolutely our policy to not pressure, threaten or retaliate against venues by using content as part of the ticketing discussion. Policy Um, is italicized. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what, what he's what he's referring to there is um, there is rumors that Ticketmaster literally will be, just be like okay screw you we'll just put you out of business if you don't follow if you don't use us essentially as uh, your ticket person um, which has been uh, pretty well documented throughout the years um, throughout the industry as well as a known thing. <laughs> throughout the music industry that uh, Live Nation does. So Joseph, Joseph, all, it only happens 50 I, to 60% you know, of the time. Yeah, yeah, only 50 <laughs> to, to 60%. Not that they're the world's biggest concert promoter. That has nothing to do with anything. Um, which, by the way, you can't be the world's biggest concert promoter and only have 50 to 60%. It's got to be higher than that. Um I mean, I guess I guess you could still technically promoter, that's skewing venue owner. I, I guess yeah. I guess distributor. Matt, you could still be the biggest, but like, come on. The problem is, <laughs> like, is they're gonna keep what they're doing right here is they're trying to make every issue micro. They're trying to be like live yeah, nation. Yeah, it's semantics. Is, yeah, it's, it's a the, in the yeah. ticketing space. They're gonna do that, and they're not gonna mention like, oh, by the way, everything. All this is in Ticketmaster. We own all of these venues. Live Nation is the world's biggest promoter. You have to take it all in at once. So they're going to make every issue one small kind of thing as an argument trick to be like, oh, that's just one little thing. And they're like, do not add these together. Yeah. Um, Well, during the hearing, uh, various senators gave their two cents over the debacle with uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar stating that ticket prices are too high. Too damn high. And quote, to have a strong capitalist system, you have to have competition, end quote. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal stated that, quote, if the DOJ establishes violations of the consent decree, decree unwinding the merger ought to be on the table so basically what? saying Wait, like why if are they, they violated, talking like this i'm sorry these are good points yeah I, I know <laughs> to the various decree 
This yeah. have a strong capitalist system. Can I read the next one? Is this that yeah, right here? You know, yeah. this is the thing. It's like politicians think they're like, well, how are can we? I, like people think we're out of touch. How do people think we're out of touch? Can I read the like, next one that you have like here? Is this right human. here? Because it seems ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. If the DOJ establishes facts that involve monopolistic and predatory abuses, they're out to be structural remedies that include breaking up the company. Yeah, uh, it's it's. Uh, you think we're one crazy fish, two like fish, this, red fish, is... blue fish? Said Senator Richard Blumenthal. You know, like what? Yeah, it's it's comical. Uh, but Senator John Kennedy talks also like a human being. Proceedings. Uh, quote, I'm not against big, but I am against dumb. Okay, and the way your back. company handled Mrs. Swift's tickets was a debacle. Whoever at your company was in charge of that should be fired. Um, I think what uh, Senator Kennedy uh, fails to understand here is that it's just the entire ecosystem of Live Nation. It's not just one right. person. Um, but sure, yeah, I guess they should get fired. I don't know. Um, Clyde Lawrence from uh, the New York City band Lawrence, uh, who I actually saw a number of years ago at Sloss Fest. Yeah, I've listened really, to really good for live. a while. Yeah. yeah, they have some good songs. Uh, they all, uh, also testified against the company, describing how his eight-member group had been dealing with the company over the years. Quote, Live Nation Ticketmaster often acts as three things at the same time. The promoter, the venue, and the ticketing company. Perfect. We have practically no leverage when negotiating, noting that the band had been charged in the past $250 for a stack of towels at a Live Nation-owned venue. Uh, you know, like towels that you wipe your face of on, on stage. What yeah, is those this, are $250. What is going on, right? Yeah, like that. And what's crazy is like that's a normal thing. Like uh, Live Nation videos have been known to do that in the past of like charging various things. Also, withholding information on what exactly you will be charged for. Often like a hotel, <laughs> like with the with the cooler. In the hotel, you get one um, free water bottle, and then you yeah, like open the well, fridge. You know how and your like parents would ever weird... f- would always freak out if you if you took a snack out oh, of yeah. uh, out of the wa- uh, out of the cooler. Well, this is uh, this is kind of the same same vibe. Uh, you want to make sure you're not crossing any t- uh, or 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 checking off any boxes that Live Nation would. I already want see that Live Nation point. being like, we don't know the particular venue that you speak of that you're mentioning, but we can look into it, you know, and then they give them all the information and they go, all right, thereafter, we shall look into this, their venue, you know, like just start talking legalese. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. So what he says, uh, he says, quote, these line items are essentially Live Nation negotiating to pay itself. Um, And so what, what this is also referring to is like, you will get like, like if you're advancing shows and stuff like that, you're going to get like, like a breakdown of like what things cost what sometimes right and like i like sometimes things are withheld sometimes they're not uh but there's like a lot of things that they will provide that you will have to pay for uh which is insane also he went on to talk about too like merch splits especially which like live nation venues are notoriously bad about taking like huge percentage of uh artist merch that you know, the artist is basically paying to get created 
uh, to input get up any kind of creative direction on while they're doing to all produce, this yeah. to transport uh, and is one of the only things that artists ever make money on. Um, Live Nation, mega billion dollar company, uh, pr- probably even trillion dollar at this point, is uh, is no way. is yeah taking taking all of that money. <laughs> so um, according to Billboard, many issues about the ticketing world were brought to the table, such as anti-bot lo- legislation, the use of digital tickets, and how technology might create new anti-competition issues within secondary markets. So what they mean by that is like Senator Mike Lee suggested that the company share its API with secondary ticketing companies such as SeatGeek to facilitate transactions, quote, without limiting consumers to the Ticketmaster app. But Birch told the the president of um, Live Nation didn't like the idea, saying that it would put their API in risk of fraud, but that he did like the idea, such as an all-in ticket pricing and increasing resources to the FTC to fight bots because it's the bots, Colin. It's nothing else. It's the bots that are the issue. That was the you definition know? of yeah. I'll eat out if you pay for it. Um, like it, it's like yeah, exactly. It's basically we're not going to take any kind of responsibility for how we fucked this up but you know what if you want to fund the ftc an outside company to help us out then you do that and i definitely have a feeling i know why he wants the all-in ticket pricing but i'll hold it for a second yeah during the end however senator josh hawley went off on ticketmaster accusing them of being a quote data industrial complex by requiring people who bite who buy tickets from other apps to then download their own app to complete the transaction. Yep. Quote, you're using your monopoly on the front end to create a monopoly within the resale market where you're forcing everyone in the resale market to come to your ecosystem. He then went on to say, quote, this is how monopolies work. You leverage market power in one market to get market power in another market. And it looks like you're doing that, frankly, in multiple markets. So, Colin, what do you, uh, I want to know your your input on the the all in ticket pricing because so I the all in ticket pricing I okay so you might be wondering like well why would they want that because it's an easy like way and win for Ticketmaster to go oh yeah we're being tr- more transparent you know now with our ticket pricing it says it right when you click in you know what I mean like how much you'll charge mm-hmm. for tax and all this stuff. What that also allows Ticketmaster to do, other than getting a giant wind and being like, we fixed it, Congress, you can back off, is that it allows Ticketmaster, especially with that kind of dynamic pricing that we talked before with Taylor Swift, to shift blame towards artists that do use dynamic pricing. So anytime that happens, they're going to go, well, the ticket is $300, but you know our artists use dynamic pricing, and it's also you know, agreed upon with the tour, the pricing of these tickets and all this kind of stuff. So we're not all to blame. Very similar to this FTC thing with the bots where they go, well, really, you know, we did support FTC bot legislation. So really it's on them to stop all the bots from coming into Ticketmaster. It's to just have that ability to go, we'll give you this on the table, but still have an option to scapegoat ourselves the entire time, in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, like especially with Taylor's stuff, when we first talked about it, when that was really just happening, I think the thing with all in ticket pricing is like a lot of people, because of their monopolistic 
tendencies only know this world of Ticketmaster pricing, and especially with Taylor Swift and other you know people, if you have like a parent or someone who's buying a ticket for a child, they're just going to buy the price because there's no mm-hmm. other competition. It doesn't matter, and they've prepared themselves no matter what that they're buying the price. So putting it in the front end is not going to necessarily help as much as Ticketmaster is going to say it helps. I think it would be a nice start overall, but at the same time, I would love Ticketmaster to have more transparency and artists to have more transparency with Ticketmaster when it comes to saying, hey, you know, we are not using dynamic pricing on this tour. Um, That is like all Ticketmaster's price fees. We take away this much. I get it. There are some people, you know, that are trying to do that, you know, from a artist perspective. And I won't say any names. There is a notable, there is a notable country guy that is trying to do that right now, but I think it is very moot of a point because mm-hmm. it, it seems like a lot of people right now are very much on like in it, in a way that I don't like kind of like, Oh fuck Ticketmaster Cause it's fashionable kind of thing. And, um, I would like everyone to be like, hey, how about we all talk to our representatives about how this is a huge deal and stuff like that instead of making it like a fashionable thing. I saw a uh, TikTok where, you know, one there was actually a clip of Clyde Lawrence talking about the Ticketmaster stuff that he was going through. And one of the people was like, this is so weird. This is just like 1994 again. Like this is just like when we all went off Ticketmaster in 1994, you know, with Pearl Jam and all that kind of stuff and nothing happened. And now it seems worse because Ticketmaster has merged with Live Nation and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm telling people right now is like, we don't need this to be this like fashion statement or a name of, you know, necessarily like an album to be there. I was like, it's more of, we need to do our best to, you know, petition from a factor of our government officials to investigate Ticketmaster for, you know, monopoly and antitrust. Because at the end of the day, it is unviable for most artists to try to tour around not having to deal with any subsidiary of Live Nation slash Ticketmaster. Either not yeah. dealing with Ticketmaster or Live Nation or a venue that's owned by Live Nation is utterly ridiculous to try to do to a pretty notable capacity. I think Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, I am all for a grassroots effort, but I definitely at the end of the day, think this is going to take congressional action. And I would like to see action more taken towards, you know, pressuring these senators and all these people on these committees to really, Mm -hmm. you know, have evidence that is, you know, practical for everything like that. Um, I think that, Live Nation, again, at the end of the day, like Clyde Lawrence said, the best is like they act as three things, the promoter, the venue and the ticketing company. And that's honestly the most dangerous thing. And if you can see in uh, Joel Betrold's like rhetoric, he is going to try to minimize this and Live Nation, therefore, by saying each individual business by itself is its own entity. But you have to take all three into account, no matter whenever you talk about Ticketmaster Live Nation, because they're all the same Mm -hmm. company. So that's my main concern with all of this is like, yeah, they, they're going to, you know, try to minimize all of this. People are going to try to make this some fashionable statement about like, Oh, well, you know, we all hate Ticketmaster, Don't we guys buy tickets to this venue. And then we're not going to get anything out of it. I would love, you know, obviously to just like have a simple answer 
that's like, as a community, we can come together. And it's like, but it's utterly impossible. This is going to take. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're the fact of the matter is they are a monopoly. And even during the merger happening, the rest of the music industry and entertainment industry as a whole was pretty much like, why, why is the FTC even allowing this to happen in general? Because it is like, it, it, it was like such an egregious merger. Um, and it's really, it, it has hurt the ecosystem of the, of the live space. I mean, it makes it so much harder for acts to break into live entertainment because like you said, Colin, you do have to go through live nation with everything. There is the, in, in no other industry should you have to go through one company to get to the other end for something. You know right. what I mean? Like you should have options and competitors being able to that that you can you can work with and it is something that like you know capitalism works i guess until it doesn't <laughs> that's like where we're at right here, and right? I, I will say i just want to hit on a few points also that are you know obviously other than saying that we definitely are against or want you know antitrust legislation against ticketmaster and and a really live nation i would like more of a you know call at Live Nation because Live Nation is a parent company and they're more of the issue altogether because I feel like that emphasizes more the three companies at bay that are causing all these issues. But at the end of the day, like there is a lot of things other than just the ticket pricing and, you know, the pricing towards bands that are going on here. I mean, the data consumption, as people said, is ridiculous. I I think it's absolutely Mm -hmm. ridiculous that you could buy an app from another ticketing company and you have to use a live nation owned app. Yeah. You should not have to do that. That's not how like that defeats the purpose of, you know, having the other ticket company at bay, the whole thing with the API. Okay. Whatever. Um, I, maybe the, maybe, you know, somebody who can tell me more about it, a risk of fraud or whatever, that's fine. But maybe if, uh, these venues had the option and, you know, especially, the few that aren't owned by Live Nation have the option to, you know, actually not be blacklisted for using other ticket v- vendors for different things. It would be a little bit better of an option. Um, it mm-hmm. it's amazing to me that, you know, ticket Ticketmaster, in all sense of the word, has been basically like water to the music industry, like rain. It's just unavoidable. It's happening all the time, and it, I think it's a ridiculous precedent. And you're seeing competitors that have arose from the space that have just rose to be resellers. They're not trying to be ticket companies like SeatGeek mm-hmm. and all these companies. A lot of the time, like, you know, they'll be like, we're a ticketing company and all that stuff. But a lot of these companies just rise from resales. And like, that's kind yeah. of the, the messed up thing at the end of the day is like, they can't even get a fair shake into what's going on. Not to mention a lot of these data concerns. Like, I mean, I do think a data industrial complex so from Senator Josh Har- uh, Hawley um, said it like the best. I mean, it it is. It, it is ridiculous that you have a company that you already given your data to and then you have to give it to another one. Um, mm-hmm. And they will use yeah, that in I marketing mean, it, and advertising and all that kind of stuff. So it, the only two companies I can see like actually like standing their own against Ticketmaster, which I don't even think. I don't even know if it's possible because I'm sure they have to deal with Ticketmaster on some backend thing is Eventbrite and uh, Dice. And those are the only two that I can like see 
actually I think SeatGeek has an opinion to it, but they have to change their business. Yeah, model. but I mean because they're such a reseller, it, it, like yeah, I think it would they, have to be like it. a lot of rebranding to be like, hey, we are, you know, first party now or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that. I mean, and then the promotion space AEG is the closest second competitor, and there's a lot of other smaller promoters we're seeing. And I think the thing at the end of the day is is that it is one of the one of the things that like I hate the most about this is that you are talking about companies that are so involved with each other and it, they are blatantly trying not to seem like they are. And that is one yeah. of the things that drives me insane. And I do think there is a level of autonomy in a lot of these subsidiary like promoters and different stuff like that. Um, that needs to be investigated for, you know, how much of Live Nation has actually handled it. But it's amazing to me that, you know, the amount of secrecy that is put into that Live Nation actually has a stake in this. Live Nation actually has a stake in this. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the things that I do not like about it is the level of secrecy that's, you know, innately been in their business model from the beginning is just be this underling. And I, and from the general public, that's the thing I hate the most is trying to explain, you know, cause people will be like, Oh man, yeah, we all hate Ticketmaster," And I'm like, no, you really hate live nation. That's who you hate. You know what I mean? Like you hate the parent company that has all three of it. Ticketmaster is sadly just one of the bigger wheels in that cog of a machine, but all three of it together is a huge deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this deadly. And that's why I would love, you know, if there's some way that whoever's making this argument to try to minimalize that kind of corporate complexity and go, no, this giant thing. And like, I just wish there was some way I could just take the eyeballs of some people that are like, well, you know, they can do whatever they want and just have like a pie chart or like really just almost like a parent family tree of just be like, nope, they own this. Nope. They own this. You know what I mean? Like, I, w- I would love that. I wish somebody would sit one of them down and go, let's try to book a actual, you know, substantial money-making show like or tour in the United States and not run into Live Nation in a significant capacity. You know what I mean? And that's almost impossible from a lot of ways. And there are people that, you know, try to be contrarian and go, oh, yeah, you can do it or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you have to do it at such a loss. And it, that's when, in you know, in this... Yeah, as we've talked about recession and all that kind of stuff becomes economically not viable. So it's either pay to play or not play at all. And uh, that's the problem. So, yep. Yeah. 100%. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet... 
Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What have you been listening to this week, Colin? Um, I'm opening up my music right now. Um, I've kind of been listening to an eclectic group of things. I did talk last week, and I will say again, I do really like... Um, you know, C, uh, CPR, which is David Crosby, but I don't want to go into that again. Um, but I was uh, actually jamming at work a lot to uh, Moody Blues, especially like 80s Moody Blues, if you don't know. And I, I think I've talked to him a little bit about the show, but they were kind of this experimental psychedelic band from the late 60s. And, and then they kind of go in the 70s. I consider them kind of a older, almost like, pink floyd in a lot of ways that's almost what i would describe them as they have a lot of 80s ballads i like just because they're like very inventive if you want like an example of that there's like your wildest dreams and stuff like that great band it's like one of my dad's favorites we've seen them in concert before and they were great um another one that i've been listening to which i thought was like really um really like interesting to listen to was oh man i just had it where to go no i just had it um, man, I just had it. Where'd it go? Uh, anyway, the point is, is that like, uh, oh, you know what? I was listening to a lot to Stevie Wonder. That was another one I've been into a lot. I listened to like all their, like the inner visions and stuff like that. That was great too. Nice. Um, and then I have just been, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying Moody Blues and stuff like that. Also my, uh, my boss at work really turned me on to an Atari song, which is called uh, In This Diary, which is like super pop punk. It's like, well, I shouldn't say that. It's like, it's that weird kind of really early um, pop punk that's like pre-pop punk. I don't even know. It's like still probably called like alt rock at that point. Um, oh my God. Speaking of pop punk, did you see Brendan Urie? posted that he's retired oh can i give this fucking can i give this diatribe finally that i've been fighting for against you (laughs) for years are we ready for this do you want gloves off for this because i still think it was the stupidest fucking thing all right anyway i have this whole thing with brendan yuri at panic at the disco and i've said this for years with joe and i've had a fight about it Okay, so here we go. So Panic at the Disco has been Brendan Urie alone for many years now. And for years, I remember being in in college with Joe, and I would go, why are they Panic at the Disco when it's just Brendan Urie? More people know Brendan Urie than any other member of it. It's just him and Panic at the Disco now. People know Brendan Urie by name. They go to the concert to see Brendan Urie. Why is he Panic at the Disco? He should be Brendan Urie. And I was saying that shit in 2015, 2016, and Joe was like, well, the name carries a lot of weight and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I get it, but when all your fans are coming... for your name it, it makes no sense so like my I, and i'm like going through and so literally me and joe have this argument where anytime i find a band and then a solo artist that tours by themselves i go 
huh? Why can't we just get this along? I'm like, Stevie Nicks isn't Fleetwood Mac. She's just Stevie Nicks. Brian Wilson isn't the Beach Boys. He's just Brian Wilson. Like, and that was like my whole thing with them. And then this week, Brendan Urie says, Panic at the Disco is done. But how can it be done, Brendan? Because it's been done forever. <laughs> it's just been you. Like, uh. <laughs> Anyway, Joe, what have you been listening to? <laughs> um, <laughs> been listening to a band called Milk, uh, and uh, their song "I Might Bore You." It's pretty cool. Uh, it's also a band called Husbands uh, with their song "Must Be a Cop." Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening to the Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. We sure do appreciate it. As always, if you want to support the show, downloading, subscribing to the show helps us out the most, as well as following us on our social media at the Biz Tape pretty much everywhere. You can also find our Grammy poll below and also in the bios of our social if you want to tell us about the big four categories and who you think should win this year's Grammys. We'd love to go over it on the show with y'all. Anyway, as always, Thank you so much, and we hope to see you next time. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.